Yeah, I start my business. Mm -hmm. uh, three months into it, I start my divorce. Mm -hmm. Three months later, I have a guy die on one of my jobs. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this is 2007. It takes 18 months, and it cost about a million dollars to get divorced, and I didn't have two pennies to rub together. So everything I made. And all the way, all the while, now it's 2008, great time for construction, right? Especially Right now, like it's going good, and then all of a sudden <laughs> I get divorced in August of 2008. I got a payout, and... <sighs> The economy just slides right off a cliff. And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. So this is take two because take one was gold, but we got cut off short. Uh, so we've got Greg Gordon here from Gordon Highlander, owner, founder um, of one of the premier construction companies here in the DFW area and then all over Texas. You guys have expanded your footprint, uh, but really excited. We do, as our company, and we talk about our day jobs all the time, we do a lot of work with Gordon Highlander and they have been an incredible partner to us. Um, and, and I got to actually, I, I got to know you a little bit through your team first, yep. which immense amounts of respect just through your team. And that's what I think is a, really a true reflection of, of leadership is, okay, what does your team say about you? How do they interact? What do they think about the culture of the company? But then you came in and spoke to our company and just the authenticity, the transparency, I immediately, you know, looked at Darren and Ben and I was like, we got to have them on. Like, we got to talk through this. Not only do you have an incredible story leading up to, you know, where you're at today, mm -hmm. a lot of ups, a lot of downs, um, but you're also in an industry that has the same, right? Yeah. It has a lot of ups and downs. It's cyclical. And there's times when it's really, really bad. And then when it's good, you know, all these new companies are popping up like weeds, but do they have the roots to really sustain through those hard times? Mm. And, and, you know, people are really looking around right now, like what are the immediate times to come? So, uh, you know, we wanted to expand off of our last conversation uh, because again, it was so good. And we're just super grateful that, that you're taking the time out of your day to come and, uh, and just hang out with us. I'm happy to be here, man. Yeah. Uh, happy you. to have you. Yeah. So, uh, let's, yeah, let's go back. You know, who's Greg, what's your, what's your upbringing? What was it like growing up yeah. and, and how did, uh, you know, how did you ultimately create this, this project? And it's not your greatest accomplishment, right? It's the, uh, it's probably the most visible to the outside eye, but sure. we'll talk about some other great accomplishments yeah. that you've had, but, um, take us to the beginning, the journey, the journey. <laughs> it's a ride I'm still on, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, well, I was born into a Catholic family in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, so raised on the East Coast. Uh, my dad worked in a family business, and uh, he saw an opportunity here in Dallas to work for Trammell Crow Company. And so that's a big part of my story. Um, uh, I can attribute a lot of my success to having a father with a spotless reputation in the marketplace. That helped a lot. Yeah. Um, I, uh, golly, when I moved to Texas, I took my lacrosse stick down to the park to go find some people to play <laughs> lacrosse with and Crickets. I felt like I was tricked by my parents, you know, no one knew what lacrosse was, but, uh, fast So forward. was it you that brought it to Dallas? Cause that's a thing in Dallas. Yeah, now. it is now. Was that, that was you. Yeah. you know, that was my era. Down. Definitely. Um, 
We moved to Plano, and I had a hard time adjusting from Baltimore to Plano. That was a big adjustment. I called it an ant farm for yuppies. It just would look very different, <laughs> and no one was from there, and just didn't have those old roots that yeah. Baltimore had. And so um, I ended up going to an all-boys Catholic high school here, um, uh, Jesuit. And um, I think in a way that's where the, the good part of my story kind of begins in my maturation uh, as a young man and being imprinted in the Ignatian doctrine and learning about their teaching and building a way. Um, we had a motto, or uh, we still do, the Jesuit motto is to be a man for others. And so I was, you know, 14 years old and learning about community service and living a life for others. Um, I think that, 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 like I called it an imprint. Yeah. Um, I had to kind of get lost before I was found again. And once I was found, I realized how much that was a big part of my yeah. my, uh, my spirit. Yeah, it's hard at that age, right? The the maturity that you have to recognize, okay, how much this is actually, you know, imprinting characteristics into me and yeah. imprinting uh, personality traits and and the importance of those. Because it's kind of like, ah, oh, it's not very cool. I, mean, I don't want to go hang out with my buddies. I want to play sports. I want to chase girls. Yeah. Like, that's the that's what right. the maturity level drives you to. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. That was going to ask, how receptive of that were you? I mean, it sounds like it was a school thing, so maybe all your friends were doing it anyway. But at 14, how receptive are you to looking out for others? I was pushing against Plano, and then I got to Jesuit, and then I kind of pushed against Jesuit, and then sophomore year came, and I was just certain I needed to get back to Plano because all my buddies were – having a lot of fun and I was going to a school that didn't have girls and <laughs> so but like my junior year that's when things really started to click and then senior year was really special and that yeah. senior year there was uh, some younger brothers that came from Baltimore the Tenervins mm. and they got the first uh, lacrosse club started at Jesuit so that would have been around 91 uh-huh. uh, so there is a moment in time there um, shortly after that lacrosse became real and hockey became real yeah and now the amount of sports that they offer is just incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, another, you know, client, um, friend in the market, they moved from California, but they were East Coast before. Okay. And his kids play hockey. And they came, and I was blown away. Being from California, Central California, hockey's not that big of a deal there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to understand that how big of a presence hockey is in Dallas yeah. is surprising. But then lacrosse, I mean, I can't tell you how many friends' kids play lacrosse. It's like, Dallas? Yep. Yeah, I knew lacrosse. I didn't. I'm I'm learning right now that hockey is a big. thing. Yeah. I didn't realize hockey was a big thing. We're yeah. talking full ice hockey. The full, whole yeah, thing. full ice hockey. Really? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a big deal. I had no idea. You're looking rugby, at rugby, rugby is another one. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm learning. Up in so much Salina, right? right? Salina is a bunch of country bumpkins, and I can say that because I live up there, right? <laughs> but a bunch of country folk up there, and there's literally we'll finish my son's practice, and there's three. Rugby teams, yeah. really? like standing on the sidelines waiting for us to finish, like mm. to walk onto the field. Yeah, I have yeah. not seen like that at all. Kids from for... six to eighteen, wow. all on these clubs. So yeah, it's huh. uh, diversified. Yeah, there you go. And then you go to Plano now, cricket, Frisco, and Plano yeah. cricket, which I didn't realize is the second largest sport in the world. In the world. That's crazy, yeah. insane, and that's now big in DFW. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned your dad and how great he was in the marketplace. What yeah. was he like as a leader in the home? What, what kind of father was he? So my dad, golly, he, um, man, he really believed in education. He started off as a teacher with a history degree, um, got into the family business, went back to school when I was a kid to become an architect, 
when I was in high school, he ended up getting his master's from UTD. And, and so my dad is just, uh, he's hungry. He's hungry for learning. Mm. And so that was, that was awesome. I and mean, talk about imprinting, you know, he'd come home. I think I talked about this on the, the previous podcast, but you know, he'd say like, son, what do you think the greatest pen in the world is? You know, is it a Mont Blanc or is it a Bic? And, you know, trick questions. Uh And he'd say, it depends on what the client says. And so just these concepts, you know, left brain or right brain. Uh What about using your whole brain? Uh And uh, I think I get my gift of influence from my dad. He, uh, he, uh, I think one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader is believe in your people. Mm. And that's more than just your words. You know, it's, it's, wait, wait, I can't just talk about it. I actually have to be about it. Is that yeah. what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. Cause the, there's a lot of people that pick up on what the world says, mm-hmm. you know, and then you can feel it when people really believe in you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's the greatest gift that I received him believing in me. Absolutely. So oftentimes, you know, even when I started my company, he'd say like, son, you're going to build a legacy business. Mm-hmm. And I'd go to my small groups and I'd say, what do you think the word legacy means? Just trying to figure out, you know, what's my dad talking about? See, and that's powerful. And I'm, I'm taking this in, into my perspective as a dad and as a child to really get the sense that my dad believes in me and doesn't expect of me. And I think about me and my kids and do I have expectations for my kids, mm-hmm. how to behave, yeah. how to conduct themselves, how to, how to perform at school, how to perform it. And I'm not sure that that I've done a good job as a dad making sure they know that I believe in them. That's powerful. That's powerful to like hear from someone that felt that. And I'm just like now, okay, what am I putting off to my kids? Right. That's a, I've I've just never thought of that. Do my kids know they know, I know they know that I love them, Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between loving them and believing in them. Yeah. It's kind of a shift between the rules and the spirit. And just the spirit or how the soul yeah. operates, right? Yeah. yeah. But you know what? The struggle for me right now is I had all these grand plans in my head about how I was going to raise my kids. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to be super structured. They're going to eat nothing but organic. You know, it's going to be like this great. But then you get into the mix, into the fire, and mm. all of a sudden the bullets are really flying. Yeah. And you forget a lot of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes almost like a survival mode. And you yeah. have to really be super conscious yeah. About instilling those things you're talking about, Tyler, those expectations, those those principles that you want to pass along. Because it's very easy, Greg, you know this better than yeah. better than us, it's very easy just to fall in the routine of survival yeah. as opposed to really bringing up your children and how, how they're supposed to be brought up. Or just getting stuck in your own logic and theology and thinking that it's your job to teach all this mm. instead of show up and be there and help them figure it out. That's wisdom, right? That's, That's really good. good. Yeah, and dude, think think about how to describe what real the markings of wisdom. You know, personally, they they show up in my life when I'm humbled. <laughs> yeah, and so it's hard to really think about how humility is a mark of wisdom, right? Yeah. Right. And so I just remember some of these arguments with my dad when I was trying to get on my own feet, you know. And my dad would say, "Son, I've never done this before." Huh. You know, I he would like, say that to you. Wow. 
Yeah, a, neither have I, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> what a moment, though, right? The the connection. you don't really understand yeah. until you're a parent. And you're mm-hmm. dealing with your own 16 year old kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just hard. I I I left here last time because my son had wrecked the car and. And like shortly after that, they had their districts, regionals, and state tournament in wrestling, and and we got Omicron, and my boys peaked, and then they just they fell flat at the end of their season, and I wanted to take them to state because I felt like next year their senior year would be very helpful if they had already seen it and been there, you know, and then the gentle hand of my wife comes in, so she goes, babe. Not everything has to be a life learning lesson, you know? She goes, they're tired. I go, what are you thinking? She goes, why don't you go skiing next weekend? So I'm like, okay. Just hard. I want so much for them, but it's just so easy to screw it up with my wants for them. Gosh, I love this. The idea of wisdom that you brought up, right? The humility may be counterintuitive to some people when it comes to wisdom, but I think that's what wisdom is, is admitting when you don't know something, admitting when you need help. Um, and I just, man, I, I think of, of with your boys and having that conversation and recognizing like, I don't have to have all the answers for them. I don't have to move every single chess piece of their life for them so mm-hmm. that, and cause then I'm doing a disservice to them, but just saying, Hey, man, it's it's a bummer situation that we're in, but guess what? Yeah, I see that you're tired. Let's 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 go just be together and let's just put some joy back into your life. Mm. And that's a that's a lot because today our culture says wisdom is being the loudest and having information, putting it out there, and just saying things right so that people think that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, but. There's just such a lack of it. And we're going to be talking about this here going in, in a couple of weeks. But mm. just the idea and concept of wisdom and, and how there's such a lack of it these days. And what you're talking about right now is that and you got from your dad. Yeah. So talk talk through, okay, so, so Jesuit. But then you go from Jesuit. Talk from there because there's times that I want to hear how your interactions with your with your dad and parents were through times that maybe weren't as smooth mm-hmm. as you know hey you know I'm a, I'm a stud on the team I'm yeah you know, I'm, I'm doing things good so talk us through that that next phase of life it's kind of funny in 91 I graduate I uh, was the student body president Jesuit and just loved it um, and I, I made a mistake in the college search I I thought that schools that were rich in tradition shared similar philosophies and I went from this kind of what I have come to know is a little bit more of a liberal approach to just loving people and meeting them where they're at and being for them to Texas A&M, which uh, some of my best friends in life have graduated from there and, and I've, I've fallen in love with, but it wasn't, it wasn't a fit for me then. Yeah. And so uh, 91 grunge rock came out and Nirvana had their album and, and all of a sudden I just wanted to be liberated and kind of bite into the marrow of life and uh-huh. so uh i really i really kind of was rebellious and kind of pushed back against uh going to college and uh, my parents were trying to keep me in the game and so there was a lot of tension there i 
picked a school in Boston, Massachusetts that was previously an all-girls school, wow. so I could just go as far away as I could. And hmm. the last little try was to go to Austin College and get back into UT, and this was like the fifth school. And I picked like an applied science degree for art medals at the time. I wanted to be a, a metal sculptor. Oh. I was playing drums, and it was music and expression and all yeah. this stuff. And so when I failed out of my fifth college, my dad – uh, said, you know, you're going to have to pay for this. Yeah. And I, and I regret this, man, but I told him, you know, fuck you, man. I don't need this shit anymore. Mm. My dad actually refers to that time as when he knew that I was going to be okay. Hmm. Huh. And then he said, but son, I always worried that you wouldn't live up to your potential. And now he says, look at you. Did so, you, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, so at that time he knew I've got to cut him loose and let him find his own path. Yeah. Instead of necessarily, okay, hey, are you going to get back into school? Are you going to class? Are you doing this? Are yeah. you they needed, they needed Greg to figure out Greg's path at that point. I think they just knew there was, <laughs> wasn't no going to work. <laughs> no other way. Was yeah. there any fear in your mind taking that path? Because – as Tyler and I were growing up, as you were growing up, the, the safe, quote-unquote safe yeah. path was you go to high school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get yeah. good grades, you get a great job at a, at a school. Right. Was there any fear on your path or on your behalf that you were thinking, well, I'm not really going the traditional route? What was, what was your mentality at that point? It's hard to, hard to say. I know that I've always had an abundance of courage and, and maybe like the guy in Free Solo, like there's something wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, Alex I, Honnold. <laughs> I took a long road trip, went all the way across the country, camped my way all the way to Alaska, took a job in Alaska and lived up there for eight months. Oh, wow. Um, got on the fishing boat when the season was over and came back through the inside passage to Tacoma and and um, I got back to Texas and auditioned to play drums in a punk rock band. And, and my dad said, hey, son, you know, I, I know you've got the gift of gab and you love the arts and everything. What, what would you think about working for a general contractor? And so I didn't really understand. I thought of construction as like road construction. Yeah. I just had these ideas in my head. And he said, you know, I think you have the ability to visualize and lead and that would be really a good fit for construction mm. so i got i got into the punk rock band the power squid the power squid the power squid yes <laughs> shout out to my buddies Come on. goose hey you, goose what's have, up you have any uh Jay Brian, or cds that are yeah, I got uh, still CD. oh, yes yeah. all right oh, oh, those are real those are real things you know <laughs> and so i tell people like that was the first decision I made kind of to get back into a good decision rhythm. Okay. Good and then I, I just decided, you know what, my friends were graduating college and they were talking about how much money they were making and all this. And I took a $4 and 25 cents an hour job 25 years ago. And, uh, I, I just had something happen then where I just decided, you know what, I'm going to quit changing my mind mm. about my career and just, just jam my flag into the ground. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Was it a moment that made you think that or just a string of moments that, that over time you thought I'm going to stick my flag? Or was it that something happened yeah. where like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant my flag here? Good question, man. Thank you. You're asking great questions. <laughs> um, close. 
it was more like all that courage and kind of just the lack of development in the frontal lobe led to me chasing all the worldly things all over the place. And then I just realized the grass isn't always greener, you know? And that pursuit, that idyllic kind of like pursuit of the worldly things wasn't going to ever really kind of add up. Right. Right. And how old were you at this time? So this would have been 97, and I was 23, 24 years old. For you to have that realization at 23, 20, I, I, I think I just discovered that yesterday, maybe, at yeah. 34, <laughs> yeah. about the grass not being always yeah. greener. So that's pretty, actually, that's pretty impressive that at 23, 24, you had that realization. But it sounds like you, you did a lot of living. Yeah, that's true. You know, from from 91 until then. Yeah, there wasn't right. that college just was like a launch pad. I was yeah. a rocket and I was just out in the world. Yeah. Just consuming. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I just yeah, gosh. I just I think for for that and and every one of us struggles with that or is struggling with that. Mm-hmm. And and thinking that hey, we're going to put our hope, we're going to put our our faith, we're going to put our happiness and joy in the hands of things that have zero foundation, right? It can be yeah. taken away at any point. But to realize that at a young age, because there's, I'm still, there's still things that I'm like, yeah. oh, no, when I get that, yep. you know, when I get there, or, you know, yeah. if I can do that, then, yeah. then I will. Oh, yeah. So that but, mental calculator is always working, man. The yeah. ego is always in yeah. control of that. Like, yeah. what's your number? This, that, you know, and I go, I go, man, I made $4.25 an hour, and I've made a lot more than that recently. Yeah. And I don't care if you misplace your identity in any of that. It yeah. will never add up, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, I wonder, and I'm just thinking out loud, I wonder, to me, the pursuit is more fun than the destination. Yeah. And so I think I get caught in that cycle of constant pursuit because yes. that feels more fun. Oh, yes. Than than the steady ease of sticking with something because I'm my backstory is a little bit like what you're saying. I I would constantly start things, but then I would quit. I'd get emotional about it or Mm -hmm. it wasn't working out the way I wanted. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it ties back to this, this desire Mm -hmm. for the pursuit as opposed to the, well, I think the, the new pursuit, right? The, the exciting pursuit, something that's, um, that's different, right? Something that's novel, and we're always searching for novelties, but I think the 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 key is is to find the joy and happiness right in the mundane, mm. in the in the mm. repetition, in the discipline, and and that's what it's hard because like we want something but we don't want the discipline of it. If we can yeah. find the joy in that, hey, look, I'm going to take a job for four four fifty an hour, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to continue grinding. I'm going to continue learning. I'm going to continue working. Mm-hmm then if I can enjoy that, then the journey to being owner and CEO of a company, right? That's the fun part. Yeah. The fun part is getting there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I can enjoy all the benefits at that point when, you know, when I can go take my kids skiing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you. I want to go back to what you were, the picture you were painting, because I, th- I think we think it's one or the other, mm-hmm. and it's actually both. And so what I've learned is that pursuit that you're talking about, the pursuit mm-hmm. of excellence, mm-hmm. it's always just out of my reach, <laughs> right? But I believe we're called to the pursuit of excellence. And when I try to explain eternity to people, that's the very picture that I want them to see. 
eternity is always just out of our reach mm. by God's design. Mm. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you don't stop reaching. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so what you realize in the journey is those superficial things, the idolatry that you put in what you think you're reaching for never really add up enough. Yeah, I think for me, my perspective changes. When I accomplish that goal, I realize, well, that wasn't as fulfilling or as challenging or as whatever word you want to choose there as yeah. I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So now I do got to reach for the next thing. Yes. Because I'm not settled here. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It is a constant pursuit of excellence because excellence changes. Once you hit this one level, well, now excellence looks different for me. Yeah. Because I've already reached. But you're right. You never really reach a true level. It's a constant uh, just grabbing for it. The other thing is you can't ever really understand completely your mindset right now. You actually have to get to the next place to understand what your mindset was that yeah. got you there. Yeah. And so there, there's a lot of wonderful examples of this. You know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm reading this wonderful book right now called Falling Upwards by Richard <laughs> Rohr, and it's about okay. second half of life. I'm going to write that down. And uh, he says, you know, the, the problem with, with the great philosophers and, and Jesus is they actually were so spiritually mature yeah. that it became a threat to the fabric of society. Mm-hmm. And uh, you kind of can see how that works. You know, you, we, we were talking about this earlier. Um, part, of, part of what hurts the pursuit of excellence is fear. Mm-hmm. And I think as as men, we really struggle with it. Fear and control are like two different sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. you know. And we're we're providers. We're kind of made that way, right? Uh, versus the coin of love and abundance. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. I just it's it's funny. the 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 recipes change just a little bit, and they always have the same ingredients. It's just knowing what to put at the top makes all the difference in the world. And yeah. Yeah, fear is an interesting emotion because it can drive you toward action or it can deter you from action. And it's amazing how powerful it is either way. I don't know, it's just a it's a it's an interesting Yeah, and I want to I want to go back a little bit to the the drive for excellence too. Um because I think that that looks different for every person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it. you always, I think I 100% agree with you. I think we're called to reach for that, whatever that is in your life. You know, some people, it may be growing an organization. For some people, it may be serving the community. For some people, it may be sticking around your family. Mm-hmm. For some people, so it looks very different because, you know, I think, you know, our audience is, is a wide range, yeah. right? And so it's, you know, it's some people that, hey, they're a, a picker and a packer at a warehouse, right? And what yeah. does excellence look like to them and their family situation? Mm-hmm. And some are high school athletes, you know, maybe, you know, a, a, young, a young lady, a young woman that plays volleyball, right? Yeah. What does excellence look like to her and her family dynamic? And, and it looks different. I think just defining excellence, and this question for you, what, what can – what definition can you think of? And I know you're on the spot, mm. but that can be broadly approached to that. Yeah. Because, because again, like I said, it could be a father that doesn't want to stick around 
but he sticks around. That's excellence. And he shows up for his family. He shows up to work every single day. Mm. That may be excellence, right? It may be that mom that is at home, but chooses not to take that medication that day, Mm. right? The prescription, whatever the situation may be. Sure. But what is it? What do you think? Okay. Hey, look, what does that drive? What is that definition of drive for excellence? I think of it as like a state of mind. It's a mindset or an attitude. It's not a specific thing like you're saying, right? Yeah. And so I just think the most important thing for me has been having a growth mindset. Yeah. Mm. And so it just allows you to embrace all the things that get put in your path. Yeah. What am I supposed to learn here? Why did that happen? Hey, why am I doing that again? Why am I having to apologize for the same excuse? Like just... I think the growth mindset just allows you to take a realistic look at the pursuit of excellence or yourself or problems, obstacles. Uh I think, yeah, I I totally agree. And and you kind of bring up and it's, and it's it's in line with that emotional intelligence, having some self-awareness, right? Self-correction. self. any, if you were to look at, athletes and I'll just use football because that's the the life that I lived was hey I had to go self-correct I had to watch film of myself I spent 85 percent of my time watching film of myself Mm -hmm. as opposed to watching film of the other team Mm. because it's more about self-correction self-realization of okay what can I do what can I do what can I fix what can I what can I not fix yeah and so I think as an individual is part of that strive for greatness is having that introspective conversation like hey who am i yeah okay what are the issues that i'm having how am i when am i hurting people what am i doing how can i be better and like you said always growing i think that that's really really important and whatever that looks like because again it may be you know and i'm not going to name a job because i don't want to put anything down but like it may be just being in a very servant driven position where you're reporting and serving other people all the time and not necessarily a leader um so I want to take a quick break and thank our partners, Sleep Number, and highlight a couple of things they're doing. Guys, these Sleep Number beds are unreal. The technology that they've created, the feedback that it gives you on your sleep. I've got the app opened up right here. They tell you things like your heart rate, your heart rate variability, your breathing rate, all these type uh, metrics and feedback to give you so that you can improve your quality of sleep. They're all over the place. You can go and check yourself out, a Sleep Number store, wherever you live. Go to sleepnumber.com as well. They've got great resources on there. We just talked about this not too long ago. They have a whole blog section, all these articles, things that you can improve your health. Sleep Number is definitely changing the game when it comes to bedding. So get yourself to Sleep Number, get yourself to sleepnumber.com and check them out. Now back to the episode. You start this, I want to go back to your journey, mm. and I want to, okay, so started at a job at 450 an hour yep. in the construction industry. Yes. So where did that go, and where did that, where did that lead you to, being consistent in that job? Just a little quick plug, uh, Charlie Henderson, C.D. Henderson was the company that uh-huh. I went to work for, and Charlie's in his 70s now, and, mm. and I actually had him come to the office recently, and we did a little, uh, just... Just me expressing my gratitude for him giving me a shot and being a part of my start. Um, But I spent two and a half years in the field. And then a guy that my dad had mentored and brought into the business started his own interior finish-out firm. And I was his first employee. So that was another thing that I benefited greatly from. Um, Although I don't 
have much of a relationship with with Robin Moody. Um, he was a great teacher, and I learned a lot about how to be a great builder from him. So you would go to that company. You're no, employee number one. Yep. Probably took on a lot of responsibility that you hadn't maybe necessarily had being in the field. I went from being a foreman to a superintendent, so that was yeah. a big jump. Yeah. And then I started, you know, after I learned how to be a superintendent, I started doing project management. And then when I got up into the marketplace, I started to realize, like, hey, these are my dad's buddies. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and so... You know, I tell people I got something better than a golden spoon. I got a dad with a great reputation in yeah. the marketplace. And so that opened doors for me. Hey, I'm Doug Gordon's son. Holy mackerel, I, I love Doug. And so my dad loves to say, you know, but but he had to go deliver. And that's the real hard part about being a contractor. Yeah. It's, it's a results-driven business, right? Uh, results is our fifth uh, core value. But we're real careful in making sure that we organize them the right way. The world wants to put results first. Yeah. And the world wants to put winning first. Yeah. And believe me, I am a competitive dude. Yeah. I want to put that first. Uh -huh. But I know that it's not. It's not the most important thing. Mm. Uh, it's the growth mindset that really matters. Yeah. Uh, Rob and I were very different. Uh, he was an introvert. And, and I was out there. And my client relationships were turning into friendships and they were my clients were asking me to be in their weddings and you know i was like wait a minute i'm helping grow this business i think i'm ready for ownership uh -huh. and so i tried to make ownership work there but he didn't want to and and i said well then i'm going to go do it for myself uh, and, and how, so how old were you at that point when you decided i was 33 then 33 okay. how, and so that personally was, what yeah. was going on through this this growth this rapid growth yeah. phase of your life professionally. Yeah. So I was still pretty much a hot mess. I was a weekend <laughs> warrior, man. <laughs> I would work real hard during the week, and then I'd still kind of go and be consumptuous on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, that um, that led me into an unhealthy relationship that, you know, as, as much pain as it caused, it actually was the very thing that was uh, – uh, setting me up for my conversion. Yeah. And, and a person's spiritual conversion is absolutely hands down the most powerful thing that will ever happen. Mm. It's, 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 it's more than information or words. It's an experience, and it's undeniable. Mm -hmm. And so it, it was through serious failure, abnormal failure, that um, I re-anchored my yeah. spiritual life around the person Jesus. I think one of one of the things that as a believer I have to combat all the time from non-believers is this God you believe in, if he's real, how could he allow these things to happen? Oh yeah. How could he allow these terrible, painful things to happen? Yeah. And you said it earlier it takes us at that next phase mm -hmm. to look back to recognize yeah. what what our God, what this God that we believe in, mm -hmm. what He's doing, right? Yeah. The the shaping and you know a a hard, very hard, painful relationship, um, and what that turned out to. And and I just think of okay, what is the trickle effect from that too, mm -hmm. right? That conversion that you went through. Yeah. How many people has that reached? I mean, we were talking before. 
you know, the, with, with John Kitna and, and the impact that you're making within a community of CEOs mm -hmm. and whether it's just interacting or speaking or whatever it is, and then your own organization, but because of something very painful, mm -hmm. man, I mean, how, sorry, but how beautiful is that, that our God yeah. can do that? That's vesseling is what I refer to it. You yeah. know, it's, it's God working through a person. Um, but that very question I've actually sought out and I think I can take a crack at explaining it. it. Um, and these aren't my words. These are just things that I've learned along the way, but, but love is the supreme ethic. God is the source of all love. And if he made it some kind of mechanical response where he was in control and we were puppets, it wouldn't work. We wouldn't be freed to love. Would be God controlling everything, and I think that's that's a real subtle difference that a non-believer doesn't really understand. And then, you know, for me, my conversion came when I realized that I couldn't orchestrate my own forgiveness, that the things, the evil that I had done, there was no way to clean it up. How was I going to be freed? from the bondage of a failed marriage and all the awful things that happened. Yeah. And that's when I realized that my salvation had nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. It had everything to do with what Christ did for me. Yeah. He died mm -hmm. to prove that he was love. Mm -hmm. Gosh. And it's through him that's right. that real freedom comes. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. real freedom. And that's, and that's huge. That, that point is it doesn't come from me, right? I, I don't have to earn my freedom. I don't have to. And in life, right? Because in life, we feel the bondage when we try to do it on our own and mm -hmm. we feel like everything is on our shoulders. And I used to have this conversation with, with Arian Foster, running back um, in the Houston Texans. And, mm -hmm. and I say this because I'd say this if, if he was here too, but you know, we used to have very, very... Um, uh, deep conversations. Uh, Justin Forsett, thank God that he was there because I had some. He backup. was your mediator. <laughs> I had no. I had some backup, uh, but but you know he he was a a very very uh, vocal atheist, right? And but mm. he was very intelligent. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I mean he'd read the Bible cover to cover multiple times, mm -hmm. and every single thing that you say, he had a counterpoint to, right? Yeah, but. Ultimately, one that I couldn't ever, you know, it, look, there's really not a, a counter to is, is I said, hey, listen, man, do you feel like you are in control of everything? I mean, do you feel like what you do dictates eternity? He's like, yeah. I was like, isn't that heavy? Isn't that, isn't that a lot to carry? Mm -hmm. Because the, the, if, if you believe that Christ died and, and the only person that's ever conquered death if if he has already done what I could not, then it's up to me just to love other people, right? The pressure is gone, right? And yes, do we strive for greatness? Yes, do we push? Yes, do we grow? Yes, mm -hmm. do we do all these things? Right. But to say, hey, my freedom is already earned, I mean, that burden is just, is gone. And that's just the, and I, I recognize that late, later in life too. I was 27. Okay. And just the lightness of life from there. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's always easy. Yeah, right? and he never says. No, it's it is. hard. Life is messy. I'm a messy person, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of old wounds and trauma, and 
I, you know, God made me a certain way. I'm, I'm not, I have a, a definite disorder when it comes to fight or flight. I just don't, I think it's like in my Scottish heritage, you know, like I'm just meant to fight. Yeah. But you know, you get smarter, uh, about knowing what the fight is that you're really fighting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I was going to say, so you're 33. Yeah. You have this conversion. You start to get your life back together personally. Uh, 33. I start my business Mm -hmm. Uh, three months into it. I start my divorce Mm -hmm. three months later. I have a guy die on one of my jobs. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is 2007 it takes 18 months and it cost about a million dollars to get divorced. And I didn't have two pennies to rub together. So everything I'm made and all the way, all the while now it's 2008, great time for construction, right? Especially right now, like it's going good. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I get divorced in August of 2008, I got a payout and the economy just slides right off a cliff. Talk, and so, yeah, yeah. you know, I think, you know, we were talking earlier about normal problems and abnormal problems. And, you know, like I had a lot of abnormal ones happen right at the beginning. Um, but, you know, I was being transformed, too. And just that servant's heart took over, you know, and I'd tell people, hey, I'm not too proud to do anything. I'll mow your lawn. I'll, I'll wash your windows. I'll do whatever. I'll put in a door or change a light switch. And and uh, we were small and lean and the world was dealing with all the pressure and we had one way to go and we were going there. So talk to us how you got through that time because I was in a position in 2008, I was still in school. Mm. I was totally oblivious to what was going on. I had 25 bucks in my account at any point. So yeah. the economy being bad meant nothing to me. I, 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 Isn't that funny? I, I was, you, you felt free to yeah, you know, have was, $25 and now you have more zeros than that and you're right. like thinking it's all going to go away, right? So uh, my, my point in saying that is I was oblivious back then, but now... 2022, we're starting to head to some scary times. Um, How did you get through that, especially in the construction business where it relies on a strong economy? Yeah. And you're going through a divorce. I mean, you've got so much going on. You've got as much going on as anybody at that time. Yeah. How did you get through that? Golly, I told you guys we won the Super Bowl this weekend. Yeah. And uh, and, we're going to spend a significant amount of time on that topic. (laughs) Yeah. And one of my players broke his hand right before. And so, you know, the pep talk. You know how good it is to win a game for someone? Yeah. You know how good it is to have two kids that you want to fight for? That was my motivation. Oh, man. And I got custody of my twin boys. And I felt like the world that they would go into – when I let them go to their moms was pretty scary. Now she thought I was pretty scary too. Right. But something really powerful happened in my faith walk there where I realized God doesn't have any grandchildren. And the hardest thing as a parent to realize is that God loves them more than you do. You know, if you if you want to encourage a non believer, if they have kids, I think that's the softest and easiest place. Yeah. Did you make that kid? I can show you a picture of my daughter three days after conception. And it's 16 cells that end up becoming the retina of your eye. And I go, there's no way. God's in creation and he's in everything. and He's good. He's good. And so I had to trust that God loved my kids more than I did. That's a, that's, that's a very hard realization. 
right? You've spent their entire life providing for them, feeding them, protecting them, clothing them. Yeah. And then to recognize that somebody loves them more than you do. Yeah. Just hard. It's unfathomable. Yeah. It's a, it's a giant leap of faith. Yeah. So, so for you during that time, it was, it was all faith. It was all, I can't do this on my own. Yeah. The only way I'm getting through this is through help and through God's help. And, and that, a lot of help, got, a lot yeah. of therapy and a lot mm-hmm. of family and a lot of people going, you know, like, dude, we got you. You can do this. And, and just that warrior mentality, too, you yeah. know. What about uh, conversations with your dad at this time? Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because my dad and I actually talked about starting the business together. And we wrote a business plan. And, and I said, hey, I'm going to go do my part of the business, which was doing the finish out. And so um, my parents at the time, when uh, around this time, they moved back from Chicago to the Hill Country. And so um, we spent a lot of time at the lake and just nestled up around family. Yeah. Um, you know, I think my dad was really grateful to see that I was getting counseling, Christian counseling, and that I was starting in a small group to study the Bible and really kind of think about what mattered. Yeah. So he was less worried about the professional side of it. Yeah. Which he knew that side of it very well. Right. And more concern with the heart part of it. And, and, and dude, you know, all that wisdom he had been through cycles before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of tell people, like, I haven't been through any cycles really because it's just gone up for me the whole time. Yeah. My professional Came development went from the... minimum wage to starting my own company. And, yeah, the world went down, but I went up through it. And then the world came back, and then I took off. Uh-huh. You, you, so the business was doing well. Four million, Through six the, million, eight million, nine oh, wow. million, ten million, you know, and then it went twelve, twenty five, thirty five, fifty five, seventy five, a hundred, two hundred and fifty, three hundred and fifty million. Wow. So you didn't see the rough I mean, you were starting the business, that's rough, but yeah. The world, the, the economy at the time didn't necessarily affect the growth of your business. Yeah. Or did, or did you just not recognize it? Cause it because it was okay, hey. It might have been that I was leaning into all the suck, you know, (laughs) right? it was just a lot of perseverance. And I just was in the, you know, I was in the three point stance or whatever you say, you know, it it feels like you were created and groomed, right. With your personality, your outgoing personality, your ability to connect to people, right. You were groomed really to thrive in that environment when others kind of hid back. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to go take it. I've, I've got the courage. I've got the charisma. I've got all these things. And I almost nothing to lose. That was the oh, good timing right. yeah. part. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. the good timing part for me. Yeah. It'd be different if I was a developer and I had all my chips out on the table and, you know, banks were calling. Yeah. Which is feels like that's more like what could be happening now. I'm not totally sure. I'm still, you know, other than Vladimir Putin I in, in the war that's going on, uh-huh. which is just, it's, I can't, I can't even... I just feel so naive. I just can't believe that yeah. there's that much evil in the world and and and, and what's going on. Um, you kind of wonder about these black swan things, and it's always been something weird that's really turned the economy off. Yeah. Um, but man, I sure do love being in Texas. Yeah. I love being in <laughs> Dallas, Texas. 
it's, I think, one of the best real estate environments in the world. Yeah. And we have such a pro-business environment here. And that's not a political statement. Nope. It's just kind of uh, businesses can thrive here. Yep. And so there's a lot of in-migration. And, you know, we've been the huge beneficiary of what's happened, I think, because of the pandemic, which yeah. is, you know, it's I have a lot of sensitivity yeah. about talking about how good it's been for me because I know it's been really, really hard on other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. But... I picked an asset type when I started my business 15 years ago that wasn't the bright and shiny object. You know, industrial finish out was like way over here. Yeah. And what's happened in 15 years in the industrial market space has been phenomenal. And I just, I don't know, I felt like I could see it coming in a way and I wanted to build my business different and the way those two kind of came together created just a ton of momentum. So a little, a little clarity on, on what Greg's talking about right now, just for those that aren't in the real estate world. So when he says industrial finish out, industrial are warehouses, think yeah. warehouses, right? So anybody where they're doing distribution of goods, um, manufacturing, um, you know, things like that where, and the other sectors are office. So office buildings, everybody knows what those are. And then retail buildings, right? Yep. There's, those are the, those are the three main multifamily, um, in, in that sector. And, and Gordon Highlander really focuses on industrial and office. Those are the two main and we're doing shell construction now, so okay. not just finish out, but we're but, doing yeah. the shell on the industrial side. Yeah, so those are our three pillars. But Office and industrial are the yeah, two real sectors it. that you, you spend, spend your time on. So just a little context, because I know yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll even talk to my wife, who's now been a part of the real estate industry yeah. for a long time. She's like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, m Most people like me, <laughs> when I ask literally, what is commercial real estate? That, yeah. that was my first question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I started, but, yeah. I walked in. Yeah, yeah, when I like, started, yeah. I Darren, what's commercial Darren, real estate? It's not residential. <laughs> it is not residential. I, I, All right, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our partner, Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, we are really, really humbled uh, and grateful to be a partner for them. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, uh, you've heard how great the resort is there, how great the casino is, the new expansion. They've doubled in size, 3,000 new slots. They've got unbelievable sports bar. They've got unbelievable restaurants, unbelievable movie theaters, arcades for kids. It is endless, the things that they've not only improved but added. Um, but it's just an, the, the experience that they provide is second to none. Choctaw Nation has done an incredible job with the community, with philanthropy, with support. Um, they have just done incredible things. So we are extremely humbled and grateful to partner with Choctaw Casino and Resort. Make sure, I know you know it, it's just a short drive of 75. Go check them out. And now back to the episode. I do want to go back to your, to, you know, the early times, you know, that's how you let, you said I stuck my head down and I just worked. That's how you led through the rough economy times. Yeah. What about when things were really booming? Yeah. How do you lead then? Does your leadership change? Because it's really easy when things are good to start mm. settling a little bit Yeah. and start, start thinking, you know, I've, I've got it made. Yeah. So how did, how did that dynamic change for you and your business? You know, so I'm, I'm maturing in all different ways. Now the economy's starting to really hum and, and I've, I would talk to my team about just the experience that the client would have being a servant leader and having a servant's heart. 
and it being more than just the words, it's in the actions and everything we do, right? And, but we didn't have a mission statement. We didn't have core values. We didn't have those things kind of anchored into the business. I actually pushed against them. I didn't want to write things on, on the wall that, you know, someone else had printed off about courage or integrity, you know. Yeah. I wanted it to be ours, and, and then I didn't want it to become a weapon. You know, I didn't want people to use it against me. Yeah. And so about 2016 um, is when I really started to kind of realize this is pretty legit, um, but what I see are the people. I love the people. And although I build very, very important things, again, the little teeny adjustment. It's the people that matter. And so um, we codified our mission statement in 2017 to build a legacy, helping others reach their God-given potential. And then we came up with our core values, steadfast, courageously authentic, for others, band of brothers and sisters, and results. And we wrote the definitions to all of them. And I started teaching the mission statement to every employee. And so the most important thing that I do is I, I start to lay that cultural foundation in, into the business. Yeah. And I teach people right away about their orientation. Um, there's, a, there's a famous guy, uh, look him up. His name is uh, John Boyd. Uh, he was a Top Gun instructor. And his nickname was 42nd Boyd. And his his nickname was because he would bet every one of the the uh, pilots that he taught that 40 seconds after they had him locked down, he would get out of position and take them out. Hmm. And he was an absolute maverick. I love stories about mavericks, right? Yeah. I love the great athlete stories, the great coaching stories, and all the anecdotal stuff that comes from that. But Boyd uh, gave me a gift, and he gave the world a gift, he was actually able to write it down and explain it, and they taught it. And it's a military concept. It's called the OODA loop. And OODA is observe, orient, decide, and act. And so he says that in decision-making, the only place that you have to be able to change or make a difference is in your orientation. And I just invite people on their cultural orientation day, think of this not like a class, but a conversation that you're going to have with me forever. And if I could put one question into your head today, and that was all that we left with, it would be what is the Gordon Highlander way? We were talking about this earlier, about how much you love to ask questions. See, I believe that the power is in the question. The answer is less powerful. And that's a part of the mind shift you know Lombardi's thing, this is a football? Yeah. He starts every season off, this is a football. Mm-hmm. He's, he's inviting his team to start getting ready for how he's going to teach their mind. Yeah. It's not that they don't understand that it's a football, right? Yeah. And so I just tell people, like, in your orientation, your past experiences, your DNA, your feelings, what about this one? This is a real hard one for the world right now your biases. <laughs> we have so many default biases and they're known. You could go study them. Yeah. Well, the most miraculous one that I bump into all the time in my faith walk, we judge other people 
by their worst mistakes. Yep. We judge ourselves by our best intentions. Mm. Yeah. And I just try to get people to kind of understand that they have an orientation and that's where you build doctrine in a way. Yeah. And if they can just ask themselves, what's the Gordon Highlander way? Then we can meet them there. Yeah. Right. And that's the real powerful connection. I put my name on my business and there's literally millions of decisions that get made every day with my name on my business. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's really important. <laughs> yeah. yes. If something went wrong, I would be down at the court steps. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's an interesting yeah. perspective. That Yeah, that makes total sense. But for whatever reason, the way you just said that hit me in a different way. Yeah. That you have all these people as a representative of your name. And developing them really is the most important important thing and those people are the most important thing that makes so much sense like it made sense but for whatever reason that just hit me in a different and so way. we make huge investments in our people that's the yeah. most important thing oh, and then yeah. you know it's funny as my dad he goes uh, i told him about the mission statement he goes uh no i go what and he goes it doesn't say anything about construction and i said yes it does dad it says to build and so i do this thing this little memorization trick with everyone Build what? Build a legacy. And I go, let me invite you into a deeper part of my heart. Yeah. You know, what do you hear when you hear the word legacy, right? Yeah. What is it? A moat. What kind of, what do you think of? Family, eternity, all these things. A legacy of what? Helping others. And I tell people about Jesuit and being a man for others. And then the most important part, reaching your God-given potential. That's a hard thing to talk about. That's a hard thing to wrestle down to the ground. And so I just go first and confess, and I say, you guys, if I'm not careful, I let my self-worth fall into the trappings of what other people think of me and how hard I work. But I forget that I'm made in God's image, and I'm invaluable. To him, I'm invaluable. And I look at every single one of my employees, and I let them know, you're invaluable. You're invaluable to me. The world talks about employees like they're replaceable. And I go, you know, I had one guy tell me some one day, he's like, man, I just hire the best people for every position and every front of her. I go, dude, with all due respect, you know, I think we're trying to get to the same spot, but bullshit. Yeah. I'm trying to bring out the best in people. You know, there's just a subtle little difference there. Yeah. And I think it's really important in, in, in being successful. One thing that I love, and, and you've hit on this over and over, but even just prior to this conversation and, and, and talking with your team and working with your team, is that, like you said, you, okay, you have a conversation with someone. I'm not, I'm not preaching to you. I'm not lecturing you on how to do it. This is a conversation. Because if you're building a team and you're saying, hey, Ben, you need to do it exactly how I say to do it. How, how well is Ben going to be being Greg? Yeah. He's not going to be very good at it. You allow your team, you say, okay, hey, you know, like you said, your God-given ability, reach that potential. Yes, their so gifts are different you than to mine, do it, right? And that's why you're here is because you bring a different gift from a different perspective. We just want to grow that. And you allow your people to to recognize that and yes there's there's a mission that we're all moving in the same direction mm -hmm. but you allow them to lean on their strengths mm -hmm. 
allow them to ask for help where they're maybe weak, where they need, where they need some assistance. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love. And I, I, I feel like those are the organizations that are going to continue to rise and that are going to continue to adjust mm -hmm. and continue to, uh, to thrive in this ever changing times that we're in. Yeah. Because if you say, Hey, this is who we are and, and we are, we're on a straight line and this is how we work. Right. Because this is how I say it is. Yeah. I mean, how fast do you get derailed on that? Oh Yeah. And so I, I just love that. And that was one of the things we were really excited about bringing you on and just talking through the leadership approach and, and as opposed to building a product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because your brand is a product, right? Yeah. And your, and your, and your delivery is a pr the product that you deliver is the finished. Yeah. But how do you out. get it to speak for who, who, you, who you are, right? How, how, how do you do that? And yeah. it's like I figured out I couldn't swing a hammer faster than anyone else. But I could love people differently. That's right. <laughs> and one of the hardest parts in leadership, I think, is when you sit back and you kind of watch it start to happen, these beautiful juxtapositions occur. Someone isn't getting it. Um, there's conflict. A client's not happy. You know, and, 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 and it's just such a privilege to be able to show up in those really tough spots uh -huh. and try to love people through that, man. Yeah. A I, lot of times the, the, like the different side to the same coin, Yeah, you know, like I got a guy, my CSO super strategic, but yeah. when he's overworked, he's not very empathetic, Yeah, you know? And so there, it's just helping people kind of understand yeah. themselves. Yes. Yeah. It, <clears throat> it's, it's a fascinating what stress can do. It can change anybody. Yeah. So how do you deal with stress when, when times get overwhelming for you? How do you handle that? Well, I, I told you I use my sense of humor to make up for my low IQ, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so right now my, fil my filter's going up because I want to say something really bad. <laughs> There's that maturity that we've been talking Whoa, about. Oh, easy, <laughs> easy killer. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, is uh, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and there's this wonderful book called The Road Back to You, and uh, it's a spiritual overlay on the Enneagram, and my deadly sin is gluttony. And so what usually happens for me first when I'm stressed out is I, I, I seek pleasure. I just want to anesthetize the discomfort, you know? Yep. Um, but I think... You know, through through making a lot of mistakes there, you, your self-awareness grows, and you kind of know, like, hey, wait a minute, I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontent. Mm -hmm. And, like, what's going on? And then just learning how to hold the tension, just the binding and loosening that comes from going, okay, something is telling me that this, this isn't right. But in the past, I went and tried to blow doors open and use my impulsivity and my gut and all these instincts that I think are so great. And I've hurt people unintentionally. And, and just holding the tension and, and, and then waiting, waiting and just petitioning. Show me, show me when and how I'm supposed to address this issue. Yeah. Gosh, like the, the patience on that. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, and, you know, we'll, We'll wrap up here pretty quickly, but one of the things that, that you mentioned is is the important thing is how you make people feel, and and we talk about it all the time. You know, as as real estate advisors, brokers, whatever you want to call us, is we may 
knock a transaction out of the park. We may put you in the best building and the best deal and the, and what are they going to remember? They're going to remember how they felt through the process. And typically who makes them feel one way or the other is yeah. the general contractor mm. on what the final product oh, is. Cause yeah. what they remember is they remember what that stress was at the very end of the project. And so, you know, yes, like that's a, that's a professional example of it, but that, that's across the board mm. is what people really are going to remember. You talk about legacy mm -hmm. is what people are going to remember you by is how you made them feel. And there's, mm. there's all these cliche quotes out there, yeah. and, you know, whatever, but it's, it really truly is. And when you address the person and not the product, that is a winning recipe. And that to me is, is a reason that the successful, um, successful people. And I'm not saying from a monetary materialistic yeah. the people that can, Hey, look, my main concern, and yes, I've got to deliver something. My main concern is, is how I treat you, how mm. I react with you. I'm dealing yeah. with some stuff at the house right now with, with some contractors. Yeah. And it's like, and I'm, and I'm just sitting there thinking and, I, and I'm scratching my head on a call with some of these contractors. I'm like, you have realized how easy that Dude, this could you be were solved. dealing with these calls when we were here eight weeks ago. Yes, <laughs> Ooh, baby, but they figured it out, and huh. they made me. And it, it, it was we got that worked out. Yeah, and I'm looking back, but even on on smaller scales, it's like, okay, like if you're telling the customer that they're wrong and they're not they're not responsible and they're this and it's it's somebody else's fault. It's like, you know, really easily, you know, this could be solved if you just made me feel. You cared? Uh, yeah. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Yeah. You know, I want to do everything within my power to make this mm. right because it's important that, and it's just crazy to me. It's like the simplest things, but like how important it is to treat people in a way that they feel like they feel important. Yeah. Whether it's your own team mm -hmm. or it's a customer. Yeah. Whoever it is you interact with. Um, and I mean, that's across the board, whether it's somebody at the convenience store, whether it's somebody at the yeah. grocery, how you make people feel is important how you treat people is important. And I think our world could be very different if we had that mindset. Yeah. You know, what's crazy. I'll, I'll try to wrap this up. No, no, no. I wasn't rushing you. That wasn't, wasn't what we we're trying to do. Just And I just see how all these things overlap. That's just my little yeah. dyslexic brain. You know, it's like, so, you know, I got this chance to coach my kids and I hadn't done it before. And I told my buddies I would do it as long as everyone came together. And then I said, Hey, I need someone to coach offense and someone to coach defense. And we're eighth, eight-year-old kids uh -huh. and so some of my buddies are looking at me like dude you don't know what you're doing and I go no I don't know I don't know a whole lot about football <laughs> so first week I teach the kids mindset yeah you know hey this has to do with your mindset second week you're gonna have mistakes and it's okay who knows how to take ownership you know my bad my bad okay next week we're in there and I go did you this was right after the 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 uh NFL, uh, excuse me, what, what's the game before the Super Bowl? Uh, conference championship. Yeah, yeah, conference yeah championship. NFC, AFC championship. Never seen anything like it. And I said, boys, do you know what that is? That's people believing that they yeah. can win. Yeah. Right? And then the next week, my son had his best game, but a young kid on the team that hadn't caught a ball yet had a breakthrough. And he was more excited for his teammate. So then we started talking about teamwork. Yeah, And how important it is, if you get everyone on a team to rise up, it's one of the most powerful things, yeah. right? And so it was just so wonderful to get yeah. to do all this. Yeah. Last little thing was don't be afraid to be great. Yeah. 
And so we make it to the Super Bowl. Witt breaks his arm. We play the game for Witt. And I'm sitting there watching him encourage another player mm-hmm. the same way I tried to encourage him. And I realized that's the greatest gift in this. That's the real magic for me in either being the CEO or a father or a coach. I want to be inspirational, but I want people to be inspired and do something with it, right? And so the most amazing part of the Gordon Highlander story isn't me. It's the people that believe in what we built. And when I get to watch them do the work, that's the real beauty in all of it. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know how else to follow that up. I was gonna say that, that's that that's probably the best lesson we take away and, and wrap it up with that is. I love what you just said. You want to inspire them to inspire each other. That's the force multiplier. Yes. Great leaders know how to make other great leaders. Yes. It's not managing people, it's inspiring them and motivating them. And the hardest part, I believe, is trusting that my real first-person authentic story is enough. Yeah. Yeah, authentic. that's good because... <laughs> authentic, yeah. keyword, authentic story. Yeah, yeah. got to rumble, man. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I love. Every conversation that I've had with you, that I've been lucky enough to have with you, is, listen, I'm not going to hide the things that I've struggled with. I'm not going to hide the things that I'm still struggling with. Mm. I'm going to be authentic. And that is how you connect with people. And we've only been, you know, been able to interact a few times, but just my perception of relationship closeness with you, just because of your authentic transparency. Mm. Um, I mean, also, you know, you're just joy that kind of just radiates out of you too, you know? It's important, and, and I just I encourage people not to always have this Instagram personality, yeah. right? not the highlight reel, because people want to know you. People want to get to know you, mm-hmm. and, they, and they want to do life with you. Yeah. Like, don't, don't be so afraid to be transparent about oh, yeah. the things that are, that are hard, things that are good. Like you said, don't be afraid to, don't feel guilty for being great. Yes. What's that? Yeah. And, and I, I think that's... That's part of a pandemic that we're going through as well, is your shame for being great. And there's, there's nothing wrong with it wanting and working to be great, and there's nothing wrong with achieving greatness. No. It's just what are you going to do with that greatness? Yeah, does it become your idol? Yeah. Is it your identity, you know? Um, yeah, well, dude, I feel the same kindred spirit, you know? I... I uh, I'm I'm grateful to be on the podcast with you yeah. guys and, it's so and fun. thanks for allowing me to share. No. Yeah, no, thank you for your wisdom. I mean, there are so many gold nuggets and going back and listen to this because it, it's clear that you're you love people. Yeah, and that's one of your your best attributes. Just knowing you for the little bit I've known you is just how much you truly. Like everybody says it. People say how important people are, but I can feel it when you say it. Mm-hmm. You love people. Yeah, thank you, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Really thanks do. for coming.
my wife likes to joke about it. <laughs> you know, honey, let's not go to the club tonight for dinner. Why? Because everyone's going to come over here and give you a hug. We, we won a job recently, and the, the guy, older guy called me, and he goes, if I hear about how much people love you one more time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a lot worse they could say about you, I right? I know, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. That's so that's true. Awesome. So Thanks true. for your time, yeah. man. Thank but you it, for coming. Again, uh, Greg Gordon, Gordon guy, Gordon Highlander. Um, and so if, if you are a company out there, mm. um, that if you are going through uh, a move, uh, and you need to build out a space or you've got a warehouse, you've got to build it out or, Hey, I need a new warehouse built. Mm -hmm. Um, Gordon Highlander unequivocally is the first call that you need to make. Thank you. Um, they have bailed us out of multiple, <laughs> multiple construction is really challenges. messy, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but they will. What you heard on the podcast today, the team at Gordon Highlander will make your client feel that way. Mm. And so, and and again, that's a that's a testament to the leadership you and and your leadership team. That's right. And and, and what you guys are instilling there. And so, again, Gordon Highlander. Uh, if you are in Texas, got to be your first call. There you go. Yeah. Thank you. But thank you, Greg, yeah. so much for the time. We appreciate it. And I hope I hope you all can go out there, take some of this, man, and just love on someone. Be authentic and just love on someone. Yep. Because that's important. We need it right that, now. That, that we need it. <laughs> yeah, we, we, the we world is a right broken now. place, and yeah. people are really struggling. I yeah. That's yeah. a real well, thing. We're scared. We're, yeah. we're unsure. We don't know what's happening. We need each other. Yeah. Right. yeah. Awesome. All awesome. right. Thank we you. I love everyone. Okay. See, you, see you next time.